grab your Bibles. We are going to be in Romans 13. Now, normally I don't skip around all over the, the scriptures, you know, as we go verse by verse through different books. But today we're going to be kind of going all over the place. So if you want a Bible, there's always some in the back. But we're in Romans 13, 8 this morning. It says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever, uh, whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality or debauchery. Not in dissension or jealousy. Rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. So if you were here last weekend... You saw a lot of the pictures that we talked about that we showed for Corinth. And Paul was in Corinth as he's writing this letter. So he's seeing these things happen. He's seeing debauchery. He's seeing immorality. He's seeing drunkenness. He's seeing the way they're acting. And he also knows what Rome is going through. And he knows the guys in Rome. So he's writing to them. And we talked about uh, really how to love each other and how to love the world. And it's all summed up in the two commands that, that he gives here that Jesus also gave. And, and it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. I mean, our God's the same God in the Old Testament and New Testament. It's a wonderful thing. It's not different. And it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And as we do that, we naturally will obey the commands, right? Because if you love God, you're not going to do these things that are go against God. You're not going to put idols in your house. You're not going to go out and do these things that go against God. And then the second one is included here, the second command, love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we love our neighbors, as we love each other, we're not going to go out there and gossip. We're not going to go out there and break those other commands where, where we're just, you know, being hateful toward one another. And we, we talked about last week how we owe people a debt of love. So did anybody get cut off in their car this week, and did you think, oh, wait, I owe them a debt of love? Did you? I'm hoping you're saying yes, because I caught myself a couple times, and then the, the Lord brought it right to my head. You owe them a debt of love, Alan. Watch how you respond to other people that aren't, you know, it's easy to love Lisa, it's easy to love Grace, and it's easy to love our neighbors, it's easy, you know, the, the ones that live next door. It's easy to love the people that we really, you know, like, but it's harder to love those that are outside of our inner circle. And Paul says, do this as you understand the present time, to know and be aware of the season that we are in, the opportunity that we have during this time. So we're called to love the Lord our God and called to love our neighbors in the context of the fact that we're living in the end times. He says here, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. And I almost, I almost think Paul's writing this like, the hour's already come. Come on, wake up from your slumber. Come on. 
I, I kind of get that feeling on this. Now, I, that's just my feeling. You may have a different feeling on that. That's okay. But the word here he's using is hypnos. It's, it's the word that we use, like hypnotize. Your eyes are open, but no one's home. Have you ever done this with kids? You're like, hello, hello. You know, I, we're trying to get Brandon's attention, or sometimes we'll be, I'll even go off and start telling these wild stories in the car just to see if he's listening. He has no clue what we're saying. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, hello, are you there? Be hypnotized. As Christians, sometimes we just kind of go through the motions, and God's like, hello, Alan, Alan, Alan. You just, you just missed that person you could have loved. You just, you're in your own little world. You just missed them. Come on, wake up. See, we appear like the world too often. And Paul's saying, come on, let's wake up a little bit. Let's get going. Because our salvation is nearer than it ever has been before. Usually the word salvation is used for the present, right? But it can also be used for the future. And it can also be used for the past. It's actually got three tenses to it. Past, present, and future. Salvation of the past this is regarding our past. This is, this is where we come to a realization that, man, I, I need the Lord. There's a God out there that, that I need to believe in. And I accept this God. I accept that He is in control of His world. I accept that He can be in control of my life. That is salvation of the past. And it takes care of our built-up sin at that point. And the cross took care of that in the past. And, and we're given to Christ's righteousness. And this is called justification. Justice if you hasn't sinned. It's a, it's a big theological word that is thrown around, justification. It's just as if you have never sinned. So when you go to heaven, there's no worry. There's not going to be you know, a slideshow of all your wrong things that you've ever done in your life going on the screen. None of that's going to be going on. There, you know, and then beyond that, there's a process of salvation of the present. And you're like, what? Well, this is the part where the Holy Spirit starts changing you. And depending on your maturity in Christ and depending on where you're coming from, you know, you know, it's like a child. A child doesn't know anything, right? They learn over time. I mean, they, they know that they want, you know, they're hungry and they cry out for milk, you know. Our two-year-old cries out for chocolate milk now. He's made that transition. Thank you, Brandon, you know. Our six-year-old's like, chocolate milk is much better, you know. And so he's hollering out for that and stuff. But, you know, they know they're hungry and stuff, but you have to teach them. You know, uh, all the teachers out here, you understand, you know, the, the child's in there at the beginning of the year and the end of the year. They're, they're totally different because they've learned. Well, the same thing in our, our learning of Christ. The Holy Spirit starts to change us over time, and it starts to sanctify us. And this is that process that it produces holiness, where old addictions start to fall away and old habits, and you come to realization of, man, that thing I've been doing is not necessarily that good. But it took you like six years of being a Christian before you realize that. That's okay. That's part of the process. And that's where, where grace needs to be given for those that are more mature in the faith to not go around going, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You should help them along the way, pray for them, bring them along, but don't be a judgmental, no, 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 because it's a process. And we start to fall away, and our old friends start to say, man, you've, you've really changed. And you can say, yeah, you know, the Lord's really just, just starting to change what I did and how I acted and all, all that. And it's, it's a great way for you to introduce God into the conversation. Remember what Paul said. He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He said that early in Romans. Some of us would say, well, I'm not sure what that means. I'm already saved. And Paul's talking about the salvation of the present. The old saints called this sanctification. 
So you have justification, which means just as if you've never sinned. And then sanctification means, you know, the, the sancti means Holy Spirit. It's transforming us and becoming like Christ. We're being made holy, present salvation. And then there's a future salvation. It's the transformation of our bodies when we're raptured. This is called glorification. This is when we get to heaven. We will, we will show the glory of God. Now, if you remember all this, we're going to put you in charge of the next Bible study, okay? Because that's how it works in church for some reason. I don't know. But this is like a semester of theology right here. Now, you can go way into this. You know, justification, sanctification, and glorification. These are big church words, and we're trying to break it down for us to understand. But the glorification is our bodies will be glorified in the Lord. When we enter glory, our bodies will reveal God's glory. So right now, our bodies are breaking down, right? I mean... I looked at those young guys up on the stage yesterday at the wedding, and I'm sitting there going, I remember my wedding. I was a little more like those young guys, you know. You know, our bodies start to, to break down. It starts to reveal the weakness of the flesh. And, you know, later on, our bodies won't break down because when we're in heaven, they'll glorify and reveal the power of God. So, which is kind of funny because my wife, I have to mark my place here, my wife was... Uh, I added these notes at the very end. My wife was driving around with Brandon this week in the car and uh, going to Taekwondo. And, and he said, just out of the blue, you know, when I'm in heaven, if God asked what kind of upgrades I would make on earth, I would tell him we need more nice people who love God. Hey, that's pretty good. And that know him. And oh, maybe it'd be cool if humans could teleport. You know? What kind of upgrades do we need, you know? Oh, now, I had a point on this. Um, where's my notes? Sorry, I, I couldn't, I didn't have time to throw them in here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's the whole idea that we benefit from God. The revealing of the power of the glory of God. That God is going to change us. He's going to upgrade our bodies. He's going to put us back to the point where we represent and glorify God, okay? So um, you, you can take it however you want, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But, but followers of Christ benefit from the past and the present and the future salvation. And, uh, you know, we, we know that these big words that get thrown around, justification, sanctification, and glorification. The glorification is what Paul is talking about in Romans 13, 11. He says, and do this, understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. The end times are approaching. We've talked about this. Will they happen in three years, 30 years, 300 years? I don't know. I just know that the signs are there when Jesus will come for the church like he promised. And our long night, as they call it, of waiting will be over. Paul says it like this in verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So we should be ready for his return because it's closer than it's ever been. Now, when I was studying this, it reminded me of the story of the little boy who went to grandma's house. And he liked to get there before lunch every day. Because at grandma's house, she had a clock that would count 1 through 12 when it hit noon. So, you know, he'd get there and he'd get a sandwich that has all the crust taken off. You know how little kids, they, they can't stand the crust. Why? I don't know. But, uh, but you know, you know and, and he's there. And, and one day, Grandma's out of the room and the clock malfunctioned. It kept going 13, 14, 15. 
And he, the kid freaks out. He runs to Grandma and says, Grandma, it's later than it's ever been. Oh, you didn't. Oh, come on, people. I delivered that one well, too. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's later than it's ever been. Jesus talked about his return a lot. He said there will be signs, certain things that will happen, and then he would return. And in fact, and, and, and I got a lot of scriptures up here if you want to uh, t- turn to some of those. Some of these we'll st- spend a little time in. But in Luke twenty one twenty eight, it says, When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. See, this is a very important scripture for us because it tells us the attitude that we should have at this point, and especially in regards to the end times. Now, some people are way too much into the end times. I mean, some guys on the radio, spend, that's all they talk about is end times. They just can't, you know, they just, all the time in Revelation and Daniel, and, and you know, or you can read one of the 37 books Tim LaHaye has written on the end times and all this kind of stuff, and, and you can really get into it, but you need to always remember, when you start talking about, uh, start thinking about the end times, don't have your head down thinking about the tribulation, and the famine, and the pestilence, and the trouble, the mark of the beast, the ten countries coming together, is it Russia, the bear, and stuff. It, it's fun to know, but don't concentrate on that, the Antichrist. It's important for us to have a basic knowledge of this stuff. But Christ wants us to do what? To look up. To look up. Because our redemption is drawing near. Attitude's the key. Attitude is everything. It's, it's, you know, it's so much about how we approach life and, and understanding that God is taking care of life. For those who have been you know, justified and, and, and sanctified and eventually will be glorified before God. Attitude's the key. Now in Matthew 24.3, let's see what he says to disciples about this stuff. He says in Matthew 24.3, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what is the sign of the age uh, or sign of the coming of the, uh, the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Have we seen that? Seen that over and over throughout time, right? And will deceive many. You, might, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. <laughs> Just turn on the news. But see that, see that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. So when we start to see the increase of these sort of things, an increase in it. Now, there's always been war. There's always been famine. There's always been these things. I don't know if the increase is because we see it every day on the news, you know, because communication is instant now, or whether we're getting a little closer. I don't know that. But there will always be wars. There will always be earthquakes. But when the you know, increase happens, then we start, you know, starting to think the creation is crying out for the return of Christ. Then Jeremiah and Joel and Jesus all alerted us to watch for the Jews, for the Jews to return to Israel. You had David and Solomon, the greatness of the Jewish empire, and then it went downhill all the way until 1947 when the Jews started to return. On May 14, 1948, they declared themselves a state. 
Now they have a homeland. Then in 1967, when, when Israel took command over uh, you know, all of Jerusalem in, the, in, in that war there, it was Zechariah that, that really let us know that Jerusalem is what everybody's going to be fighting over. Is everybody fighting over Jerusalem? Did you know up until 1948, Jerusalem was just kind of this little outpost? I mean, you had the Crusades that went back to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem. You know, you had the four or five Crusades in there. and stuff. But other than that, it was just kind of this backwaters kind of little town that no one was really caring about until the Jews returned. And now that's all we fight about when it comes to that part of the world. And in fact, uh, this part of the world in many ways. Up until 70 years ago, no one cared about it. But now we're in the end times. We see Israel come back home, and the scriptures say, when you see them gathered from the four corners of the earth. Now, where did the Jews come from? Going back to Israel, where did they come from? Almost every single nation around this world. I mean, I don't think there was many in China, but, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the the Jews were coming, I mean, they come from Russia, they come from all over the place to go back to Israel. They brought it back into to wonderful, you know, farmland and all this, and Jerusalem became their home. And then, you know, when, when it, all that happens, it says, get ready, because the signals point to the return of Christ. And somebody might say, well, Helen, if that's all true, can we do our homework and come up with a date? No, we've talked about that before. You cannot, if anybody ever comes up with a date for you, oh, Jesus is going to return on this day and this year or this month or, or you know, th- during this three-month period, just ignore them. Think they're Lulu because they are. They're crazy. You cannot, even the scriptures say that you can't come up with a date. In fact, it says here in verse 32 of that Luke, it says, but about the day and, or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or the rooster, (laughs) when the rooster crows or at dawn, if he Come suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. When I say to you, I say to everyone, or what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So Paul's argument, if you want to say that, here is that we don't know the exact day, but we do know it's approaching. Time is starting to run out, and we can't, you know, we can't be sure that we will be here tomorrow or next week or next year. We cannot put off the things of God. See, our minds need to be on the things of God. That's why I love that my son was thinking about the upgrades that God may give him when he gets to heaven. His, his mind is on the things of God. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. We cannot put off mending relationships. We cannot put off loving others as we love ourselves. Because now is the time to be the great Christian that you want to be. Start putting effort into it. Time is nearer than you expect. It is at hand, he says. And we need to understand the end times, at least the basics. And Paul talks about this in, uh, when he wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and a loud, with a loud command and the voice of the archangel or, uh, and, the, uh, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, 
we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I mean, think about this. The dead saints are raised. All of us who are alive will caught up, will fly. This is, my, my son will love this if it happens during his lifetime. He'll be like, I finally get to fly, you know? Um, and, and we'll meet Christ in the clouds, and this is called the rapture of the church. It's not a scary thing. It's an exciting thing. And Jesus promised in John 14, he said, don't be upset about it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but also believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I, uh, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me also take you with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, when Jesus ascended into heaven, Luke tells us in Acts 1 that he was talking with his disciples about all this stuff. And he was basically saying goodbye. And they they didn't realize that at the time, what he was doing. But then he was pulled up into the sky. He was pulled away. And he disappears into a cloud. And they're just standing there. And they're just kind of looking up. I mean, okay, now what do we do, you know? He'd already told them what to do. But that's kind of what, I'm sure that's what they're thinking. And finally, a couple of angels appear to him and appear to them, standing next to them. I wonder if the angels were kind of walking up going, you know, just getting closer to him, staring up. Hey, what are you looking at? You know, and just kind of elbowed him a little bit, you know. And it says they were intently looking into the sky where he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, whom, you've taken, uh, whom has been taken from you into the heavens, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus is going to return. This is going to be an exciting day. He's going to return for us. If you're dead and in the ground, you'll go up to, to meet him. How? I don't know. I don't know all that. I, you know, I mean, you're already up there with him, but your body comes. I don't know all that. I just know that Jesus has figured it out, okay? So I don't have to worry about it. He's planned it out. I don't know which is better, to be already dead and with him or cooking pancakes and poof. I mean, does the spatula, does it go with you? Do you drop it? I don't know. Things are falling from the sky, everything you're holding, you're just dumping, I don't know. But 1 Thessalonians 5.1, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains, uh, pains on a pregnant woman. Now, is the world screaming peace and safety? Is it doing exactly the opposite of peace and safety? Kind of interesting. Now, I'm not a woman, so I don't understand the labor pain thing, okay? Uh, I understand that they, it intensifies uh, toward the end. That's about my extent of, of knowledge on this. But this is what Paul is saying. These things in the world will intensify as we get closer. And Paul says, but you, brothers and sisters, in verse 4 of uh, Romans 13 there, or not in the darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in Thessalonians. Um, uh, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that the day should surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day, who do not believe, uh, belong 
to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us wake up and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and a hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive the salvation through our Lord Christ Jesus. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, or build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. It's kind of, uh, I was reading this and my mind started thinking because um, for, for Halloween, our, our block always serves a block party. And it's not my favorite holiday, you know, I'll take the kids out. But right now, like Lisa or I have to go back with the young one as we put them down for bed. But I was just thinking about the sleep and all that. Uh, we, we had some neighbors that are staying up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning drunk. You know, because that's what, you know, they're, that's what they do. And they sit out there and their campfires, you can hear them throughout the whole night and stuff. And, and I was just, just kind of, uh, you know, and what we're called to be is lights. We're called to be beacons of light on our block. Wherever you live, you're called to be a beacon of light, no matter what your neighbors do. But you don't outright reject them as in like, I'm never going to talk to you. You're different than me. No. You get out there and you talk to them. You show them your lifestyle. You show them your life. You show them how God will bless them or bless you. And hopefully through that interaction, God will start to change their minds. Because Jesus will come and save us from God's wrath. Therefore, we will not see the worst of God's wrath during a great tribulation. So we don't have to worry about that. It will really be intense toward the end. I mean, famine. Probably some type of nuclear war, mark of the beast, and, uh, you know, I believe will be pre-tribulation. In other words, Jesus comes and raptures us before the final tribulation starts. Then the wrath of God comes down upon this earth. And this makes sense. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. If you remove the salt from meat, what happens? Do you remember, I mean, you know, we, now we just stick it in the freezer, okay? The, the, the idiom that we would use today is you take the meat out of the freezer and you just set it on the counter. What starts happening? It starts rotting, right? Leave it out there for a few days. You'll start smelling it, right? Well, back in olden times, they would take salt and they would salt the meat. So, okay, wouldn't it be lovely to eat that meat, all that salt in there and stuff? Um, but you would salt the meat, and then if you remove the salt, you scrape it off, it would start to deteriorate almost instantly, okay? And that's what happens when, when we as Christians are removed from this earth. All the goodness, all the salt, all the things that are preserving God here on this earth, once that's removed, it's going to get really bad really quick. Jesus also said in Matthew 24, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, there are really two thoughts on this right here. He goes on and mentions the, the temple being rebuilt, and, and you can say, well, the temple's not rebuilt, so therefore we have time. Well, all the temple items, we've talked about this before, all the temple items that need to go into the Jewish temple are already ready to go. So, what kind of temple did they originally have? It was made out of cloth, right? They put up a big tent and sectioned off the tent, and they used that as a temple. Well, they already had the temple grounds. They could start a temple 
really fast. So don't think all the temple's got to be rebuilt. Maybe, maybe they'll build a new stone temple. I don't know. But all I know is it could happen really fast. It could be ready in a matter of days to be ready to start sacrificing to God like in the Old Testament times. Or you could go with the, what other scholars think and, and believe that the temple will be built during the seven years of the tribulation. I don't know. Either way, it doesn't really matter because what matters is what both Paul and Jesus are saying. I'm already going to be with God because of the rapture. So the question is, are you ready for the rapture? The only way to be ready for the rapture is through glorification and, and the sanctification, the justification process. The only, person, only people that receive that are the people who are in the process of sanctification because they've been justified. So if you've experienced justification, then don't worry about it. Good to know, but don't worry about it. Just have a basic knowledge of it. And do what Jesus says and what Paul says. Be ready. Don't wait to talk to your neighbor about Christ. At least give them a chance. You, would, you see what I'm saying? If you, if you don't talk to your coworker, if you don't talk to your neighbor, you're not even giving them a chance to get to heaven. At least give them the chance to reject God or not reject God. What would be worse? Well, I mean, at least I've talked to them about it versus, man, I didn't even give it a chance. And where did they get to go? Wow. We have to give them a chance because we're all sinners that need to be saved. The scripture says, now is the time of your salvation. It's not something that we should put off for ourselves or for others. Matthew 24, 21, Jesus talks about the tribulation uh, period. And it's not a fun time. He says, for there, there would be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Think about the awful things that have happened in this world and in our history. The plague, World War I. World War II, it's going to be so much worse than any of those. Verse 22, it says, If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At the time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I told you, see, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go there. Here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For the lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there are vultures, uh, the vultures will gather. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That's pretty bad. Then, we, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And we will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from, from one end of the heavens to the others, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I, truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
will never pass away. But about this day, uh, but about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels nor the uh, son, but only the father. It is written in the days of Noah, so it will be coming of the son of man. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be for the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. You know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine one time. He worked at a place where there was cubicles, okay? So he had worked across from this man for like 12, 14 years, something like this. So, I mean, they'd heard all the conversations back and forth. You know, all the conversations with parents, uh, all the conversations with their, their, their spouses and all this kind of stuff. They went to lunch all the time. And, and, and one friend finally said, after about 14 years of knowing this, hey, are you one of those Christians? He said, yeah. And he goes, so you believe in that rapture thing, right? He goes, well, yeah, of course. So you think you're going to be gone instantly? He goes, yeah. He goes, okay, from now on, when we go to lunch, I'm driving. (laughs) I mean, this is how he was preparing. I mean, he's missing the whole point, right? Man, therefore, he says, keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. This fits right into Romans 13. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Here is our responsibility. We should cast off things. And he gives three connected things. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness. Carousing is the word partying, the word uh, Komos in the Greek, and it's where we get the word komatos or komatos, okay? Uh, and the word drunkenness is the word methe, and it's where we get the word uh, methamphetamine, uh, methamphetamine. I can't even say the word, you know? Back then, you had a whole group of people who worshiped the god, um, what they called the god Bacchus. And they're walking through the streets, and their whole job was to get drunk, and they would riot. And they would do this in the honor of their god Bacchus eat, drink, and be merry. So picture Mardi Gras, or picture spring break, you know what the world thinks spring break is all about, and he's saying, you need to cast off, in other words, not do, take away, stay away from that behavior, because that behavior is not okay. And then he adds two more, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Sexual immorality, I mean, you would all understand this, but this is talking about animalistic lust, in other words... Sex with no shame, who cares, no care for consequences, uh, unbridled, unrestrained, in your face sinning, who really cares? Debauchery is inappropriate sexual desire, in other words, in secret. Paul says, don't be in your face, who cares, or secret about this kind of stuff. Just don't do it. Don't think this will help you in any way. I mean, outside of a marriage, it's a killer of your marriage, isn't it? Literally and figuratively, if you act like this, don't believe the lie. If you live like this, the sanctification process gets bogged down, and you will never move forward. Your body can't be the temple of God when we're acting this way, right? 
I'm not talking, we all have sin. I mean, don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about the not caring, who cares, let me just live life how I live it. And, and you know, but Alan, are, are, you, are you saying that you're taking away my salvation? <gasps> no, I'm not saying that. I, I'm asking you if you've ever had salvation in the first place. Taking away salvation or giving, that, God decides salvation. I don't decide that. Other Christians don't decide that. God decides that. I'm asking you, have you come to God at all? If you can just bluntly give yourself over to these things, man. Ultimately, God is your judge. It is God to judge heaven or hell. But the Bible does say, say that we're supposed to judge each other's actions and call each other out when they don't match up to what we say we believe. But Alan, the, you know, this is judging, and the New Testament says not to judge. No, 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 no. Where'd you get that? See, you're taking it out of context. The New Testament says not to judge, but the judging he's talking about is the judging to heaven or hell. Well, if you act like that, then you're going to hell. No, that, God decides heaven or hell. He's the one that knows the heart. We judge each other's actions. If you say you're a believer and I say I'm a believer and you see me doing something wrong, you need to come to me and say, hey, Alan, this doesn't match up with what you say you believe. And I'm supposed to graciously be rebuked. And you're supposed to graciously be rebuked. And think about it, but normally what do we do? <gasps> you know, get our fighting stance on, you know? We're, we're supposed to keep each other accountable. So we are to judge each other's actions. To say that behavior leads to hell. That behavior leads to death. That behavior leads to destruction from God. If we cast off these behaviors, cast off the cheap counterfeits, because, I mean, we're, we're too easily pleased, aren't we? I mean, just give me a snack at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock and I'm happy, right? We're just too easily please. We should not receive happiness and pleasure from things. Our happiness and joy comes from the Lord. That's where we receive these things. Allow Him to show us what true happiness is. Imagine the possession that has given you the most happiness that you've ever had. That doesn't even compare to what the Lord can provide for your life. Paul continues with the last pair and he says, not in dissension or jealousy. It's a strife, a strife and being envious. It's amazing to me how many Christians give themselves, and of course not here. I mean, we're talking about the other church down the street, not ever here. But give ourselves permission to be jealous or to covet or to stir that pot. Getting people riled, uh, riled up just to sit back and watch and have fun. You know, playing, well, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. No, you're stirring the pot. You're not playing devil's advocate. If, you're, if you find yourself always being the devil's advocate, maybe you're not of God. Maybe you're being of the devil at that point. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about in a teasing way, not poking each other, having fun, but a person who's, you know, being the devil's advocate just to get a kick out of what happens afterward. Our gossip. How are we doing on our gossip? We've been talking about that since, oh, I don't know, about a year ago. How are we doing on gossip? Jesus says, he who is with me gathers, and he who is against me scatters. We should be gatherers. 
There are things that are incompatible with being a Christian. So since we don't have too much time here on this earth, I mean, we don't think about that. And I don't think we should be afraid of when our time comes because the Lord counts out our days. He already knows when Alan's, you know, poor little Alan's going to be gone, okay? So I don't have to necessarily worry about that because I don't want to live my life like, should I drive down the street? Is somebody going to hit me and am I going to die? I mean, you know, some people worry like that. We need to give that kind of stuff over to God. But we don't have too many days because we don't know when it's going to happen. My dad didn't know. I mean, he was planning retirement. He had three months from retirement. He was planning all these trips after he retired. He didn't know he was going to have, you know, he already had cancer in his body and he would die within seven weeks of finding out. We don't know those things, but we shouldn't worry about those things as we live our life. But we should be gatherers. We should be about doing what the, what the Father's business is, our Father in heaven, not playing around in this dangerous world. In verse 14, he says, Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, we shouldn't go to the Costco of the world. And I'm not talking Costco. I'm saying the Costco of the world that offers all these sinful things that, that we can load our cart up of the, the desires of our flesh. We need to be careful with the things that are tempting us to sin. We convince ourselves so easily that we need it. I deserve this. And if you want to understand that concept, go hang out with six-year-olds. Go hang out with first graders, kindergartners. I deserve this. But if we had the right stuff in God, we won't be tempted as much. We have to put our, you know, a distance between us and our temptations. You need to figure out what tempts you. Now, I know I'm not saying go out there and experiment to figure out what tempts you. But I'm saying, I mean, innately, you know what tempts you, right? You need to put some distance between that and you. Don't keep it right there. Don't keep it in the house. If it's, you know, I mean, we, always, we always use drugs and alcohol, right? Okay, I get it. But, but it's an easy one to use. But don't keep it right there. If it's visual things like other women or, or men or whatever, don't, don't be watching it on the TV. Maybe get the TV out. I don't know. What tempts you? You need to figure that out. Don't gratify the, the desires of your flesh. If it's novels, you know, for, you know, for men, visual, ladies are a little more mental. They're mental. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, read, reading some of those, those novels that you read, that's not... You know, daytime shows, if you're at home, do you watch, you know, what, what do you put in your head for ladies? What do you put in your head for men? You have to put your distance between you and that. Rather, clothe yourself with Christ. This morning, I got up, I showered, and I put some clothes on. You're really happy about that. I see you've done the same. I'm happy about that, okay? And this is what Paul is saying. When you get up, we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ as if we're putting on clothes. Jesus in his flesh, Christ is his divinity, and Lord, his mastery over our lives. Now, modern day word for Lord would be what? Boss. Supervisor. The person that controls you, okay? That's what we're looking here. They use Lord because they, most of these translations that we read now can... 1600s and from there we kind of use the english language from there so we say lord but boss or anything like that we put on his power when we do this to resist temptation 
So if you're tempted by anything, allow the Holy Spirit to help you because it saves you a lot of trouble in this lifetime on earth. Saves you a lot of trouble. When, when you feel yourself being tempted, you go to Holy Spirit, give me an out. Where should I go? What direction should I go from this? And sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to be going, hello, how obvious is this one? You know, with my son, I'm like, come on, Brandon, this is so obvious. And other times it's like, oh, I didn't even think about that escape. I didn't even think about that route. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit guides us when we put the things of God in our mind. question is, what are you putting into your mind? A friend of ours borrowed a vehicle a few times, and every time we get into their car, um, the type of music. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. I love 80s music. But then I listen to the words, and I go, oh, maybe I shouldn't listen to this anymore. You know, pour some sugar on me. Okay. I mean, 80s music was awesome. Of course, the older folks here would say 50s music were often awesome, and some of the older, uh, not so older folks would say 60s music was awesome. But what, is it, what does it stand for? What should I be putting in my mind? What kind of music should we be listening to? What kind of shows should we be watching? What kind of people are we hanging out with? We don't separate ourselves out so much that we're no longer the salt within wherever we're at. But we have to think about these things. Is my best friend of the same mind as I am? Oh, that'll wake you up a little bit. Well, we've been friends since childhood. Yeah, but maybe you ought to change that a little bit. Put up some boundaries within that friendship if that friendship keeps taking you down the wrong road. You've got to figure out where are your temptations and say, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me in this endeavor. Because if we don't do that, what do we stay? We stay in the same place in our relationship with God. And we don't move forward. My son's taking Taekwondo. If he went once a month, he would learn two or three moves and he would stay in that level, wouldn't he? But if he goes every day or almost every day, you know, as much as he can, in three years he can be a black belt for his age group, okay? You know, he's not going to be fighting a 40-year-old guy in the MMA or anything like that. But I'm just saying, he would be, you know, he could do that in three years if he really worked on it. But if he only went ever so often, where would he be? Would he? No, he would stay with the white belt. He would never progress. In our relationship with God, what color belt do you have? Do you have the beginner's belt? Or do you have the black belt? Or do you have the purple belt, the brown? Okay, there's a whole bunch of belt colors. But I'm saying in your relationship, where are you with God? We need to keep progressing. And that takes time, that takes energy, and that takes a desire to get into the Word and to hang out with Christians and to be of God's mind. Are you willing to do that? You have to ask yourself that. It takes work. And you, sometimes we have to say, God, help me with that. Help me with that. So, Why don't you stand as we uh, have our worship team come and finish this up today and we'll pray. Lord, you are a wonderful God. You're a God that cares about where we are in our process of growth. You care about what tempts us. You give us the power to, uh, through your Holy Spirit to resist temptation. You bring us along and train us, and, and you expect us to move forward, Lord. And I pray that you help us do that through the Holy Spirit. There are people here, Lord, that 
that want to move ahead in their relationship with you. They just don't know how, Lord. And I pray that you give them a direction. You give them a desire. That when they go a direction that they shouldn't be going, that, that you put people in their path to say, hey, what are you doing, man? What are you doing, woman? This isn't good for you. That we would also be encouragers for one another. That we would that help people along in the path. We're not perfect, Lord. We're going to make mistakes. And I love that your grace and your mercy just overwhelms us when we do. I thank you, Lord, for showing us the path. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you when you go his direction. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.